Hey there, just a warning. This episode contains some information that may not be suitable for all ears. Proceed with caution. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah 1-3 Hi, this is Pastor Jason from Christian Life Church in Waverly, New York. Welcome to Master's Crib, a weekly podcast where we interview pastors and leaders about the biblical teaching of authority. This program is designed to go alongside a personal Bible study aimed towards spiritual growth, biblical understanding, and a Christian worldview. Thanks for tuning in. Today on episode 10, we have Dr. Frank Turek of crossexamine.org. Dr. Frank is a dynamic speaker and award-winning author or co-author of four books, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Correct, Not Politically Correct, and Legislating Morality. Frank is also the president of crossexamine.org. Frank Turek, welcome to Master's Crib. Thanks, Pastor Jason. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really appreciate it. So just for a couple seconds here, I'd like to introduce the people to you and your ministry. So how long have you been with Cross-Examine? Did you start it? Yeah, we started it back in 2006 uh, in order to go to college campuses primarily because about three out of four young people who are brought up in the church walk away from the church once they leave the home. And one of the major reasons they do is intellectually, they don't know why Christianity is true. And uh, one of the reasons for that is, is usually we don't, parents and, and, and pastors and church people don't really teach mm. evidence as to why it's true. Mm. We don't do what's called apologetics. That's giving evidence for what we believe. It doesn't mean we're apologizing for anything. It mm. comes from First uh, Peter 3.15. Always ready to give an answer that, for the hope that you have. And the word in Greek is apologia. That's where we get apologetics from. So we try and give people evidence that Christianity is true. And we do this on high school campuses, college campuses, and also in churches. And if uh, folks go to our website, crossexamined.org, that's crossexamined with a D on the end of it there, they'll see a wealth of uh, information that can help them. And then our YouTube channel has almost 700, probably almost 800 videos now. Short videos from the college campus, Q&A videos, the crossexamined.org YouTube channel, so they can get answers to the most common questions that are asked on a college campus. Hmm. Now, how did you get started in ministry? Well, I got started because I came to faith through apologetics, reading Josh McDowell books many years ago. And then I attended a seminary here in Charlotte, North Carolina, called Southern Evangelical Seminary. And the president of that seminary was Dr. Norman Geisler. And I happened to have the privilege of writing a couple of books with him. One was called Why uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And the other is called Legislating Morality. And I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a book that goes through the evidence for Christianity from the ground up, and that's the presentation I do the most at churches, high schools, and college campuses. Mm. That's awesome. So now with uh, the recent things that are going on, like uh, has your mission at all changed? Like you've had to do things a little bit differently, right? Well, we're doing a lot more on video and online. We're doing an online show every day, a live stream at 1130 a.m. off of our website, YouTube channel, and Facebook pages called Hope One. We're trying to give people hope through the lockdown. 
But once everything comes back online, we'll be going back out to churches, high schools, and campuses. We hope, anyway. That's mm. the intent. Right now, we're doing a lot online. We have a big social media presence, so we put a lot of information out via the web uh, and uh, try and reach people that way when we can't go to them personally. That's awesome. So you really have uh, you know roots all over the place. I know you go to a lot of campuses. And I wanted to ask you, do you see a lot of the physical fruit? Like, how, how does that come about where, you know, you make a return visit or just uh, through email or call? Like, how do you how do you acknowledge, uh, you know, the fruit of the ministry? Well, people will email you or they will post comments on your YouTube channel. Some people love you. Some people hate you. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Jesus. Some people love you. Some people hate you. In fact, if somebody doesn't hate you, you're probably not doing something right. Nobody knows you're a Christian. Because Paul said, everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said that uh, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So we will have trouble. We will have resistance when we try and give the message of Christ to people. But that just comes with the territory. We get a lot of positive feedback and, of course, negative as well. Mm. Now, can you think of any examples of just one? I know there's probably many, but just um, of a mind that has been changed because of um, some interactions with Cross-Examined? Well, you could go to our website and see some testimonials. Um, there are people that email us and say, I became a Christian by mm. reading your book, or I lost my faith, and after reading your book or seeing your videos or coming to your event, I'm back. You know, we get that all the time. Awesome. So, awesome. Uh, and, and you know how it is. I mean, only a very small fraction of people are going to reach out back to you. Uh, it's, um, you know, when, when I read an, a good book or I watch a good video, I hardly ever contact the author. You know? <laughs> right, 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 right. You? I mean, no. So when we do get feedback, we go, oh, this probably represents a lot more people than we even know. So mm. that's I know for, for, all of the, for all of the negatives that I see out there about you and your ministry, I just see so many more positives. And there are a lot of people out there that um, are, are defending you when people were putting up, you know, some, some stuff that's, uh, you know, they've, they've seen you in the wrong light or do they just don't agree. I, I see a lot of people out there that are defending you. So I really know that, uh, you know, you guys are doing a good thing and there's a real strong backing for cross-examine. So uh, I really appreciate the fact that you continue to go strong, you know, like you said, even sometimes in the face of adversity, but there's a lot of good coming out of, uh, out of your ministry too. So well, really do yeah, appreciate that. We, uh, we uh, are, I'm originally from New Jersey, so I don't mind a fight, you know. <laughs> You're ready. But no, we're supposed to. Uh, we're supposed to give uh, reasons for what we believe, and that's what we try and do. And we leave the results to God. You know, we're, we're, we don't convert people; the Holy Spirit does. But Amen. He uses us. Um, he uses you, me, and other Christians to reach other people. And so we just do what we do, and we leave our results to God. You know, Amen. someone put it this way: You can't bring everybody to Christ, but you can bring Christ to everyone. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's awesome. Well, let's take a couple minutes, uh, you and I, and uh, and just spend tearing into God's word. So, uh, our passage we're going to look at today is actually from Psalms, and um, it's Psalm 14. I just like to read that. It says, "The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good." The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? 
They are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. So immediately in this psalm, we read that this person is a fool. Why exactly are they a fool, Frank? Well, in this context, a fool means somebody who's morally depraved. It doesn't necessarily mean someone's stupid, although it is stupid to be morally depraved. <laughs> it really means that there, there are people out there who say there's no God because they are corrupt and their deeds are vile. Mm. In other words, they don't want there to be a God mm. um, because God is going to get in the way of what they want to do. So it's not... It's not a question of God's existence. It's a question of our resistance. Mm -hmm. That's really the issue. Uh, most people are not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. And we think that God's going to get in the way of our happiness. Mm -hmm. So we suppress the truth about God to go our own way. And in fact, this psalm, much of this psalm, as you know, Jason, is quoted in the book of Romans when yes, Paul sir. is talking about in Romans chapter 3 how none of us have done good. All have turned aside. They're all corrupt. He says, no one seeks God, mm. unless God seeks them first, obviously. But the point here is, is that the fool is someone who is suppressing the truth about God because they that, that person wants to do his or her own thing morally. And we see this all the time. I mean, why would... Why do you think people would be upset with you saying that God exists? What does it matter to them? Right. Well, it matters to them because they don't want God to exist because God is going to get in the way of what they want to do. This is why I ask people questions all the time. One of the questions I ask them is, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And I've had many atheists on a college campus, when I ask them that question, during the Q&A, they get up to the microphone, they ask a question, they show some resistance, and I ask if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And many of them will say, no. Mm. Say, no? Why would you say no if it were true? Because it's not a matter of the head, it's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the mind, it's a matter of the will. Mm. It's not a matter of information, it's a matter of corruption. They don't want it to be true because God is going to get in the way of what they want to do. They don't want there to be a God because they want to be God. They want to be God of their own lives. Now, I'm not saying this is true of every atheist. I'm simply saying it's true of many atheists. In fact, if you continue to read Romans 1, you find out that after people suppress the truth, God gives them up to a depraved mind to the point where people are not only doing evil, they're cheering on other people who are doing evil. Which is very prevalent in our culture today, and maybe in a few minutes we'll talk about that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So then the purpose for these people denying the existence of God is just so that they can live with what they love, and, and that is their sin. What type of resistance do you see to this when you go out on college campuses? Now, I know you just spoke to that a little bit, but what are some of the chief issues that you would address when you're speaking to, to someone out there? And, you know, the questions and answers sessions, I've seen some of them, and someone stands up and says, what are the types of things that you hear? Well, the elephant in the room in, on a college campus is not evidence. The elephant in the room is morality and accountability. Mm. People don't want it. In fact, if, if I wanted to boil it down further, the elephant in the room is sex. Mm. They don't want to be told what they can and can't do sexually. Mm. In fact, if you look at the cultural issues in our culture today, 
just about every one of them is somehow related to sex. You know, we're arguing over abortion, over um, transgenderism, over homosexuality, mm. over marriage, over what bathrooms to use, over whether or not the government pays for any of these things. Right. In fact, there's a new religion in America. It's the religion of sex. Right. And that's why Paul talks about it in Romans chapter one. He wrote this 2000 years ago, and it's still relevant because, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. People, everybody worships something. The only question is, what do they worship? And quite frequently, it's sex. And look, if there is no God, what else is there for some people? They say, well, look, I'm just going to, I want to do my own thing. I just want to, I, I want, I want to behave any way I want that I think is going to make me happy. Mm. The problem is, while you might be able to make yourself happy over the short term, engaging in such, in such behavior, over the long term, it's a disaster. And everyone who's listening to our voice right now over the age of 40 knows what we're talking about because many of us have tried to live a sexually perverse life most of our lives and we realize, you know, this isn't working out. Mm. No, it's not. Wow. So now as this passage talks about uh, those that are obviously choosing not to have God as their authority or they don't want to have God as their authority, um, Mm -hmm. what exactly is the description that we see here of those who choose this type of lifestyle from this passage? Well, they have become corrupt. Mm. They, they never learn. In fact, it, it, go over to Psalm 2 for a second, because mm. Psalm 2 even talks about this in another way. In Psalm 2, he says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? Mm. He says, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one, mm. Messiah. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. In other words, these kings who are trying to make law contrary to uh, God's law are trying to say, I want to break God's chains off me. God is chaining me up. He's trying to prevent me from doing what I really want to do. I want to throw off God's fetters. And and what what does the psalmist say? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And he goes on, if you keep reading the psalm, to the point here, where you better accept the sun, kiss the sun, lest he be angry. This is the messianic psalm here, Psalm 2. And so people are trying to throw off restraint, and they think by throwing off the restraint, they will be free. No, that's not true freedom. True freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. True freedom is doing what you know you should do Mm. and being able to do it. Wow, that's amazing. So... um a guy that you're quite familiar with, much more than myself, other than reading his books, Christopher Hitchens, um, a guy I spoke to last week. I uh, quoted from his book, um, How Religion Poisons Everything, God is Not Good. At any rate, um, he was talking of um, the, the picture of authority being someone that's constantly under the thumb of, mm-hmm. of a tyrant. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this is the idea that many people outside the church have of religion. As you've already said, they don't want to have someone someone over top of them. So would you take just a few seconds or a few minutes maybe and just explain a clearer picture of what biblical authority looks like, a, a picture of a life with God as the authority? Well, Paul talks about in Galatians 5, I believe it is, about the fruits of the Spirit, you know, that it's... It's joy, it's peace, it's love. He goes through all these things, and he says, against these things, there is no such law. Mm. What do you mean by that? He's saying you don't need law if you got the fruit of the Spirit. You don't, you don't need a law that says don't be peaceful. 
or don't be loving or don't be kind. We don't need laws for that. If people are peaceful, joyful, and loving, would you need any laws? Mm. In fact, it was, um, it was uh, um, James Madison, the father of our Constitution, who famously said this, and one of the most pithy things ever said about government, he said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. Mm. Now, why do you need government? What's the implication? You need government because people are evil. And you need to protect innocent people from evil. And if you didn't have government, you'd have anarchy and people would die. I always ask, uh, you know, I, I grew up near New York. I grew up in, uh, in New Jersey. And uh, you re probably remember in the late 70s when the blackout hit New York, mm. uh, there was chaos because people knew they could probably get away with theft and even murder. And so they did. Not everyone, obviously, but many did. Yeah. And I ask people today, what do you think would happen if the police across the country or just in your town said, you know what? Tomorrow, for 24 hours, we will, we will not prosecute any crimes. If you want to commit a crime tomorrow, it will never be prosecuted. Let me ask you this. Would the Best Buy dealer survive? Wow. Would, would the bank survive? Would the Lexus dealer or the Mercedes <laughs> dealer survive? No, they'd be run over. How many people would be raped? How many people would be murdered? Because it's easy to be bad. It's hard to be good because we are fallen creatures and we are depraved beings. That's why we need some sort of law to, to govern us. Without that, we are going to obviously do much evil and paul says the solution to that is is get closer to jesus because if you get closer to jesus you'll experience the fruit of the spirit and then there won't be laws that need to constrain you look our laws can either constrain us from the outside or jesus can constrain us from the inside the holy spirit can constrain us from the inside and that that's a much more effective way to build a society not external laws you always need those what i'm saying is if the if the populace is constrained by the Holy Spirit, then you don't need as many external laws. I mean, look, 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 look at our country in the past few decades. It's become the nanny state, right? Especially during the lockdown. <laughs> it's wow. a total nanny state. Why? Because people are not constrained internally. So more external restraints need to be put upon them, according to the government. Wow. That is, that is really a scary thought. Like, mm -hmm. wow. Um, so, Let's let's continue that conversation. That part. Let's take this up into our contemporary, um, you know, some contemporary implications from from this psalm. So, like, let's just live that out for a second, as you just did. What does this look like today? What is the picture of society today? I know you know probably many of the statistics of those who who reject God as their authority. What's that look like in today's culture? The the person that says there is no God. Well, here's the, the thing. The person that says there is no God can't really live that way. That's why I wrote a book called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Mm. In fact, let's look at the current COVID situation with the lockdown. The very reason that we're all locked down uh, is because we know it's immoral to allow a virus that you can stop from killing people indiscriminately. In other words, we know the value of human life. 
And we say it would be wrong to allow this virus to, to kill people if we could stop it. And so everybody around the country, at least initially, said, OK, we'll lock down for a little while, mm. right, um, in order to save people. And most people said, OK, it's reasonable. Let's do it. Right. Now, if you're an atheist, there is no real reason why you ought to do that. Because human beings, according to atheism, are no more valuable than roaches. Why? Right. Because we're not made the image of God, according to them. We're just the result of a blind evolutionary process. There is no meaning or purpose to life. Hmm. So why say that human, why treat people like they're really valuable? In fact, why not just let Darwinian, uh, the Darwinian uh, worldview progress? Why not just let this virus take out the weak people so the strong people can survive? Hmm. I mean, now, I, I hasten to add that there is no morality associated with Darwinism because, if again, if there is no God, everything's just a matter of opinion. There is no ultimate right or wrong. His nature is the standard of goodness, and without that nature, you can't discover what is right or wrong because there is no right or wrong. In Darwinism, there's no purpose. There's no meaning. We're just going to be worm food anyway eventually. So what does it matter if a virus wipes out everybody? Now, thankfully, nobody, whether they're an atheist or a Christian or anywhere in between, is saying we ought to do that. <laughs> but they're living as if God exists, even though they claim God doesn't exist. They can't live. You can't live a consistent life by claiming to be an atheist and saying there's no meaning. Otherwise, you know, you, you, would, you would say that a human being is no different than a cockroach. You know, if your mother dies from this thing, it would be no different than a cockroach dying from this thing, according to atheism, because there's no purpose. There's no meaning. There's no right or wrong. So that's why I try and point this out to people. I try and say, look, you're claiming atheism's true, but on, the, on morality, you can't live like atheism's true. In fact, even Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist who wrote the book The God Delusion, to his credit said, I don't want to live according to a Darwinian morality. A survival of the fittest even though on one hand he says there is no right and wrong there is no good there is no evil there is no justice there's just blind pitiless indifference dna neither knows nor cares dna just is and we dance to its music mm. so on one hand he says there's no good there's no bad there's no evil there's no right there's no wrong on the other hand he's trying to say i don't want to live that way i want to make sure that people are treated well mm. why wow Wow. So, so in what ways today is the rejection of God's authority affecting the institution of the family? Well, it's the famous saying that um, without, I'm trying to do this from memory now, um, if the foundations are destroyed what will the righteous do mm. if there is no foundation if god and his nature is not the foundation of rightness and goodness and justice and people just get to do whatever they want then why respect authority including in the family mm. why respect your mother and father um if there is no right view of marriage and sex well why not just sleep with whoever you want to sleep with mm. why not marry whomever you want to marry even if they're the same sex or why not marry multiple people what does it matter if there is no ultimate purpose to life if there's nothing ultimately good or bad why why obey any of the ten commandments what's the point 
Oh, so yeah, that's that's really it's. I mean, it seems like when you think about uh, what's going on right now, one of the things we've heard, one of the positive changes, are at first everyone was like, "Oh no, my kids are home now. What do I do?" But I've been hearing a lot, as I'm sure you have too, of people saying, "Wow, I've been able to spend some time with my kids. I've mm-hmm. been able to spend some time with my family." So it seems like throughout the past 20, 30, 40, 50 years, wherever you want to start, um, you, know, you know, putting your finger down and saying this is where some real change has started to begin morally um, for the family, uh, this seems to have brought about uh, some, some good change, you know, within some of the households. So why is that? Like, is it just proximity that's changed? Well, I think that out of necessity, people have had to try and teach their kids because school is out, right? Hmm. I think that may be a good outcome because generally, and this isn't true of all public schools, it's not true of all schools, but generally the public school values are not the values of a, of a Christian uh, household. Mm. And um, I think if more kids get involved in public, or I should say private school or homeschool, that's going to be a good thing for the health of the family and the health of the nation. So I think some parents are going to say, you know, this, this is actually working out pretty well. Maybe we'll continue this. Mm. Of course, others will say, no, I got to get back to school. I get that too. Oh yeah. But our schools are not responsible for educating our children, not biblically anyway, we are. And Mm. if we delegate that to the wrong people in the wrong way under the wrong values, and then we wonder why our kids uh, walk away from the faith, that's our fault. Mm. Well, that is... That is really detrimental to even think about. Now, do you think, Frank, in any way that just people coming face-to-face with their own mortality, I mean, whether or not the numbers are right, wrong, I mean, there's a lot of talk either either way, but just the idea that there there are people dying and we've been told that this is a deadly virus, uh, do you think that that's had any bearing upon people's behavior at all over the past few weeks? Uh, when it comes to considering their mortality, yes, and that's that's a good thing, right? C.S. Lewis said sometimes you're going to look up when you're on your back, mm. right? Uh, when you're going through difficulty, you may turn toward God, and so it's it's actually exposed something that has been true. We just didn't know it, and that is we're all vulnerable and we're all mortal. Mm. Now we've been going through life like we weren't vulnerable and we're not mortal, but we really are. And so that's a good outcome of this. It's woken us up. And that's one of the benefits of having pain and suffering in the world is that it wakes people up. It's, our, it's C.S. Lewis who said it's God's megaphone to arouse a morally deaf world. Mm. And of course, it builds character, as, as the scriptures say. Um, Paul says that uh, perseverance builds character and character hope. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy. I don't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's right. what James says. And he was actually executed for his for believing in that his brother was God. Mm. So there's good things that come out of evil and, and God can do that. So now there's an opportunity that um, our listeners here have that perhaps they didn't before. There are people in all of our lives that we really wish were Christians and we've been praying for them for a long time. And um, as you said before, which is is definitely true, we can't make them Christians, only Christ can. Uh, But there are new opportunities that we did not have uh, before that, that this whole thing has brought about. So would you just for a couple seconds just... Talk to the believer out there um, that's listening that really doesn't have an idea about how to go about apologetics 
and how to really speak to someone about their faith. But now there's someone in their life that's kind of questioning things. I mean, this is really where real change begins as far as uh, rebuilding the structure of authority. So what could these folks say to those people in their lives they've been praying for and now they have new opportunities? Well, maybe the quickest way to do this is to say something like, through all this mortality, a good way to open a conversation would be to say something like, do you think there's an afterlife? Mm. Or, or what do you think happens when you die? And then just see what the person says. And then you can ask questions like, well, what do you mean by that? And how did you come to that conclusion? These are questions from my friend Greg Kokel's book called Tactics. Mm. And you don't even know anything to ask questions. You don't have to know anything. Mm. you got to know... You have to know things to answer questions, not ask them. So sometimes just bringing up a topic and then letting the person talk and then asking questions, that person will realize that they really don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. If you ask enough questions like, what evidence do you have for that? Or how did you come to that conclusion? They're going to realize that they really don't know what they believe. And then that's an opportunity for you to provide some evidence back to them for what they should believe. Mm. That there is a God and Jesus came and added humanity to his deity, lived the perfect life in our place, was punished for it in our, in our place. And by rising from the dead, he proved he was God. And by trusting in him, everybody can have their sins forgiven. Mm. Um, that's the big story of Christianity. Now, there are many questions you can ask. There are many places you can get resources to get answers to some of the questions. And uh Our website will be helpful. Our app will be helpful. Cross-examined, two words in the App Store, cross-examined. There's a quick answer section there, which has some of the questions you can ask other people and then answers to questions they might ask you. You can go to our YouTube channel, crossexamined.org, and see about seven or 800 questions that people ask and short answers to those questions. So they could just avail themselves of, of, of those resources, and then I would, that would be helpful. Mm. Well, that's so awesome. Frank, I just thank you so much. I really appreciate this conversation. I'm going to continue to pray for you and for cross-examine and the work that you're doing there. So I just, uh, I really, really appreciate it. And I want to thank you. Well, thank you, Jason. Thanks for the work you're doing up there in New York near PA. And um, it's important that we, uh, we try and minister to people while they, while they can't come to us. We're trying yeah. to do it online. We have a, an online uh as I say, podcast, or I should say live stream every day at 1130. People can access that. Of course, you can do Zoom like we're doing now. Hmm. Uh, But things are going to get back to somewhat normal here pretty soon. We'll be able to get back together again. Let me say one thing about this coronavirus thing, if I can, and then we'll go. And that is, I think if we knew now what we knew, what we, or I, I think if we knew what we know now, if we knew it, say, three or four months ago, we probably would have locked down differently. In other words, we probably would have said, okay, the people who are vulnerable, the elderly or people with uh, other conditions, we need to sequester and quarantine them. The rest of us need to go to work and keep the economy going. Mm. That probably would have been because as more data comes in, we're realizing that while there are exceptions, this virus really affects the elderly and and or people that have other conditions like obesity or diabetes Mm or uh, asthma, those kind of, uh, of issues. You, you, you hardly ever hear of people who are young and, and vital uh, actually succumbing to the illness. Mm. So 
I, I think now it's the time to start opening up again, because if we don't do that soon, more people will die from the economic impact than the medical impact. And that would be even a, a further tragedy. Well, we're going to we're going to pray toward that end for sure. For sure. So thank you again so much. I thank you for your time and, and thanks for coming on Master's Crib. Thanks, Jason. God bless you, man.